life is good. It's really easy to say, I trust God, when I don't have any reason to not trust God. And I think that's where I find myself a lot, is I can confidently say, I trust God to get me through whatever comes through, because right now nothing's coming through. And then when something happens, I say, well, where is God? That's something that we see throughout the Psalms. This idea of, I trust in God, but my trust is being challenged right now. Where is God when I'm struggling? Where is God when I'm going through trials? Where is God in my life? If you want to turn to Psalm 125, where we read from from this lesson, that's, uh, or from the, the reading today, that's really one of the main questions that I think this psalm covers is where is God in my life when my life's not so good? Because it's really easy to get to a point where even though you intellectually know that God loves you and you intellectually know that God is going to deliver you, sometimes it is easy to ask yourself when you're in the midst of trials, when you're struggling with your faith, if I'm going through this right now, what's the point of trusting in God at all? And I think that's what Psalm 125 and many other psalms really speak to this this answer of why do I trust in God? And so I want us to ask ourselves why we trust in God. Because let me tell you, at the end of the day, saying I trust in God because my parents and their parents and their parents trusted in God, so I guess I will too, that's not going to be a deep enough trust to get us through trials. Saying that I trust in God because, well, I don't know, I just do. That's not a deep enough trust to get us through trials. To say I trust in God because right now everything in my life is going well, that's not a deep enough trust to get us through trials. And Psalm 125 is going to show us why we trust in God at all. Let's just start by reading it together again. It is a pretty short psalm, so it won't take very long. A song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. 
I want to start this idea or this sermon with the idea of what a psalm of a sense is and why that matters. I'll try not to get too into the weeds, partially for time and partially because me and Jacob have both thought about teaching through the psalms of a sense as a whole quarter class, so I don't want to steal too much of our future thunder. But the psalms of the sense, 15 psalms, Psalms 120 through 134. And we don't know exactly why all the, all the ways these psalms were used, but it seems clear that they were used in some form or fashion on the pilgrimages that, people, that the Jewish people would go through on their way to uh, Jerusalem for the feast. If you think about the Feast of uh, Passover and Unleavened Bread, you think of the Feast of Pentecost, these times where people from across the Jewish nation and really even beyond would come to Jerusalem and make these trips to the temple for these celebrations. So these are psalms that are primarily focused on celebrating coming into the presence of of God, songs that really focus on the relationship that God has with his people. And they cover a variety of subjects. They talk about uh, family, and they talk about trials, and they talk about captivity, and they talk about all sorts of things, but all of them are really from the perspective of how a God follower's relationship is with his creator what it's like to be a member of the people of God. And Psalm 125 is no different in that regard. This psalm is at its core about the relationship that God has with the good, the relationship that God has with his people. And it covers the worth of serving God. What are the blessings of following God? Let's start back in verses 1 and 2 again. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And so as so many of the Psalms do, Psalm 125 kind of starts with the point. Here is the main thing that we're going to really be focusing on in this whole passage. And it's a a declaration of trust in God. That those who trust in God cannot be moved. That those who believe in Him, those who follow Him, those that have a relationship with Him will stand firm. That when those trials come, when those struggles like we talked about earlier... The people who trust in God are going to be okay in the end. And verse 2 even says that those who trust in God will abide forever. And I I don't know exactly what the the psalmist had in mind when he said that. He is comparing it to the mountain of Zion. I don't know if he had any sort of idea of eternal life 
in the sense that we think of it, but whatever he was thinking, he's picturing the salvation and deliverance of God's people. That those who trust in God will always stand firm in this life, and of course we know they will always stand firm in the eternal sense. But notice where this life comes from, where this assurance and confidence comes from. Because it's not that those who trust in God are somehow better or more deserving than everyone else. It's not because those who trust in God are powerful enough in their own sense that they stand firm. Notice how the psalm, is, uh, how the psalm puts it. A picture of God surrounding His people like the mountains surround Jerusalem. It's because God is worth trusting in. If you want to think about the mountains of Jerusalem, especially thinking about if you are one of those that are coming to Jerusalem in this pilgrimage, you are going to be very familiar with these mountains. Your legs are going to be very familiar with these mountains as you're coming up towards the city. These are big, big hills. And they do. They're hills that surround the entirety of Jerusalem. There's hills that protect Jerusalem. And that's really one of the ideas of, of what this picture is. That if you're an army and you're coming to invade Jerusalem, you know where you can't go? You can't go straight through a mountain. Where you can't go is you can't go all the way up and down these mountains. That's going to be off limits to these armies. The mountains stand in between the danger and Jerusalem. And that's the same idea of what the psalm is trying to say here about our relationship with God. That as the mountains surround Jerusalem, God is going to keep the bad things. God's going to keep many of the trials, many of the struggles from us. God is going to protect us. God is going to deliver us. God is going to save us. And the other thing that this sort of speaks to is that close relationship. In many ways, the mountains of Jerusalem are inseparable from the city itself. Think about, I mean, they are synonymous. I mean, think about how often Jerusalem is referred to as what? Zion, as Mount Zion. That the mountains of Jerusalem are in many ways completely inseparable from the way we think of the city. And I think that in a lot of ways, that is very similar to what's being pictured here. God surrounding his people completely, God drawing into their midst. This is almost, this is very similar to a, to a picture almost of a messianic coming. God coming down from where he is and choosing to surround his people, choosing to be in their midst. God coming to us and giving us His protection, His love, His care, surrounding us in His power and glory. It's really a beautiful, almost familial picture of God's relationship with His people. It doesn't get any better than the Creator of the entire world choosing to be so close to us. And that's what this psalm is really based in, this idea of no matter what happens, come what may, 
God is going to draw near to his people. God is going to protect them. God is going to be with them. Now, that doesn't mean that trials will never come, and it doesn't mean that struggles will never come and that life is always going to be easy, because notice what verse 3 says. Verse 3 says, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Verse 3 introduces this concept of the scepter of the wicked, this idea of wicked rule. And I think Psalm 125 really is is learning a lesson from the time of the exile, saying there's going to be times where the wicked will come to righteous lands. And to the Jewish people, that means, hey, there are times where Gentile kings have taken control over Jerusalem. In fact, that happened a lot. That happened with the Syrians, that happened with the Assyrians, and it happened with the Babylonians, and it happened with the Persians, and it happened later with the Greeks and Romans. The idea is over and over again, God, the, the land of the righteous, the promised land, was controlled or partially controlled by the scepter of the wicked. That for us, There are going to be times in our life where even though we're serving God, we're still going to have to deal with trials and struggles. We're still going to have to go through hard things and go through loss and go through grief and go through all of these sorts of different struggles in this life. That even though God does surround his people and God does protect his people there are going to still be bad times. That trust in God does not guarantee that we'll face no hardship or pain. And so that brings us back to the question at the beginning of this lesson, what is the point of trusting in God? And verse 3 also has that answer. Because the question is, if we still have to face awful things, why follow God at all? And it's because we are told that the staff of the righteous will not rest on the land of the wicked. Notice the point here. It's not that the staff of the wicked will not come to the land of the righteous. That happened plenty of times. That happened to Israel pretty much constantly for the whole second half of their history. But it's that they will not rest there. The staff of the wicked will not be able to kick their feet up and move in and say, this is our house now. These trials are going to end. The idea being that whatever we face, though it is awful, though it is evil, though it is wicked, God will not allow it to last forever. That God is protecting and surrounding us even when we go through these trials. That when we trust and follow God in His mercy, God saves and delivers and protects us from these struggles. And notice the care behind God's protection, so that the righteous may not be tempted to sin. 
very similar concept to 1 Corinthians 10.13 where Paul tells us, promises us, that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able to endure. Here Psalm 125 emphasizes that while God will allow His people to endure trials, even in the midst of these trials, He's protecting and delivering them so that they are not subject to the lives of the evil rulers and powers around them, so that they are not compelled to become like the wicked. That even during the trials, God will bless His people so that they can see that His way is better than the way of the wicked. So we have this beautiful picture of God protecting and surrounding His people both from the evil around them, but also from the temptation for they themselves to join with the evil world. And that is why the last two verses are so amazing to me. Look again at verses 4 and 5. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts, but turn aside to, the crooked, to their crooked ways. The, but those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. And notice what the plea with God is here. Because this is, this is directed towards God. God, look at what's going on now, and here's what I want. I want you to do good to your people. I want you to bring justice, and I want you to bring peace and deliverance. What has the entire rest of the psalm been about? It's been about who God is. And part of who God is, the psalm says, is God is the one who protects his people. God is the one who brings them peace. God is the one that brings them justice. In other words, verse 4 and 5 is a prayer for God to just keep doing what he already does. Verse 4 and 5 is a prayer that God continues to be faithful to his people. He continues to fulfill his promises, that he continues to save his people essentially asking God to continue and even hasten these blessings, freeing his people from the scepter of the wicked. The psalm is a beautiful proclamation of how good God is and who God is and how good it is to be a member of his people. We'll make a few short applications, and we'll leave the lesson there. And the first thing that I want to talk about is is the idea of trusting in God. The psalm makes it clear there are going to be times where it's tough to trust in God. We can't get around that. That there are going to be times where we really have to ask ourselves, why do I trust in God at all? The psalm references the captivity and the subjugation of Judah. Those tough times where, for Israelites, everything that they know and love is taken. Wicked people who don't care about God are perverting your nation, perverting your culture. They're ruining your life, your family, your religion. It's the darkest of dark times for Israel. But God says, hold on. Hold on. Keep trusting in me. And it will all be worth it. This isn't going to last forever. Because I'm going to deliver and I'm going to protect you. And the message for us is the same. 
I don't know what you're facing in your life, but I'm sure that you're, you have trials, you have struggles, you have loss, you have these dark times. And sometimes it's hard, even though you know intellectually, you know God is in control, and even though you know intellectually that God loves you, sometimes it's really hard to feel it. Sometimes God feels so far away. We were talking about that some in the men's class the other day when we were talking about some of the Psalms of David, especially Psalm 22. It starts with the author saying, where are you, God? Why are you so far away from me? But then it ends with, I praise God because he actually wasn't near as far away as I actually thought. And Psalm 125 shows us a very similar picture that no matter what we're dealing with in this life, even if we're in the times, the struggles, the times where it feels like the land of the righteous is being ruled by the scepter of the wicked, God is still there. God is still close to us. God is still watching over us and protecting us. God has not abandoned us, and he will not abandon us, because as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. But again, it's not always easy to feel that way. And then you have to answer, what do you do then? What do you do when you know you should trust in God, but you don't feel trust in God. Because, you know, it's really easy for me to sit here and to tell you, you guys, you need to trust in God more. And then I can sit down and we can stand and sing and all of it will be over. And I can say I did a great job. But that's not actually how things work. If you could just flip a switch and trust in God more, I think most of us would. And I don't have all the answers I don't even have close to all the answers, but I can offer this one thing, and that's pray like Psalm 125 prays. Pray like the Psalms of David pray. If you feel like God is far away from you, pray and tell him that you feel like he's far away from you. Pray it in love and respect, but pray it. David did, this psalmist did. If, if you feel like you trust God, but your trust is lacking, pray it. I think of the man from Mark 9 who was asking Jesus to heal his child. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think about the way Jesus reacted to that. Jesus didn't say, I can't believe you have any unbelief at all. That was not the way that the Lord reacted to that. The Lord saved and delivered that man and his child. And I think I need to pray a few more prayers like that in my life. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I trust. Help my distrust. Even in this psalm that we covered, Psalm 125, it starts with this statement. This is what the psalmist already knows going into the psalm. God protects his people. He brings justice and salvation. 
And in the end of the psalm, he's asking God, please be good to your people. Please bring them peace and justice. Do you think the author of Psalm 125 forgot in between verses 1 and verses 5 who God is? No, he knows. This is a prayer very similar to that man in Mark 9. God, I know that you are good to your people. Please be good to us. Asking God to keep doing what he's already promised that he's going to do. Don't be afraid to pray like this. Don't be afraid to thank God for who he is and then ask him to keep doing what he already does. Even though you know he loves you, don't be afraid to ask him to draw near to you and continue to love you. Even though you know he's already protected and blessed you, don't be afraid to ask him to save you. Even though he is good to his people, don't be afraid to ask him to be good to you. These are not doubt-filled prayers, but they're prayers like we talked about in class today, leaning into God. Their prayer is saying, God, I am trying to draw near to you. Please draw near to me. It's okay if you right now in your life, you're struggling. It's okay if right now you feel like your faith or your trust is low. But don't forget to turn to God in those times. I think about Psalm 70. We don't have the time to read it, but Psalm 70 starts with, verse 1 is, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And then verse 5 says, But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. This is not a psalm of David thinking that God is never going to come and save him. It's a psalm saying, God, I don't know how much longer I can hold out. Please strengthen me and please deliver me as soon as you can. God gives us these prayers in the Psalms for a reason. These are, for lack of a better term, approved prayers. But I don't pray like this. But God's showing us very clearly in his inspired word, these struggles, these doubts, these fears, they are a normal part of a walk with God. And what we do in those times is we have to turn to God and ask him to fill the gaps that we can't fill on our own. We have to draw near to him in prayer, and he'll draw near to us as he always does. Our God surrounds and protects His people. Our God loves us even when life is hard, even when we struggle in our faith. And so I'll just leave you with take heart, turn to God in prayer, and ask Him to deliver you. Ask Him him to strengthen your trust, and He will, because that's who He is. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then we'll offer the invitation. Father, we believe, help our unbelief. Father, we trust in you, help our distrust. Father, we love you, help our unfaithfulness. Thank you for, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for surrounding and protecting us and loving us. 
Thank you for doing good to us. Please do good to the good. Please continue your blessings and please bring peace upon your people, the church. In the Lord's name I pray, amen. We saw that God is good to the good. He is good to his people. He loves and protects and blesses his children. And so the question is for us, are you a part of his people? It's a great thing to be a part of the people of God. I don't think we say this enough, but there is no better path on this earth than being a part of the people of God. It doesn't get better on this earth than having a relationship with the creator of the entire world who still chooses to love and protect us. That's as good as it gets. And if you're not a part of that life, it's time to join it. If you're not a part of that life, you can repent, you can be baptized, you can join into a life with God and you can have that close familial relationship where God will draw into your midst. You can be a part of his people and he'll save and he'll deliver you. I think a lot of us have already made that commitment. And if you're struggling right now, that's okay. But we need to get you turned back to God. And if you need help, we'd love to do it however you can. Find somebody to talk to. Tell them that you're struggling. Ask them to pray with you. Ask them to pray for you. You can talk to me. You can talk to the elders. You can talk to anyone here that you trust. But get help. And let's all turn back to our God and try to come into a greater faith and trust in Him and a greater relationship with Him and His people. Whatever you need, feel free to come to the front as we stand and as we sing.